Good morning, and thanks for joining us on this incredible Easter morning. I speak Jesus. In other words, I speak hope. Because Jesus is hope, and hope is Jesus. Today we celebrate that Jesus is the hope of the world. That's the joy of the resurrection. Jesus is alive. And so again, we say, Happy Easter. I pray that today, for many of you watching who might not fully understand the depth of God's love for you, that today, this message will give you a clear sense, not only of the love God showed us through Jesus, but that there's a hope for you today that goes way beyond wishful thinking. It's a confident expectation. That's God hope. I also pray that for those of us who know and have experienced the love of God in our lives through a relationship with Jesus that has truly changed everything and is changing everything, that we will be reminded that the hope of Jesus doesn't just promise God has our tomorrow. He also has our today. God can actually be trusted today and tomorrow. We read in Luke chapter 24, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Could you imagine being the ones to get to make that announcement? Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles What had happened? But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. And stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. This is the word of God. And in that moment, Peter is wondering what happened. We see later... In Peter's life, after Jesus has ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, after the outpouring of God's Spirit, after the birth of the church, when Peter shares for the first time with the world that Jesus isn't dead, but he is alive, through all this, Peter becomes very clear on what happened. And we know that because we read in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 5, he says this, Praise be to the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. As followers of Jesus... People who have repented and believed in Jesus, who have placed our faith and our trust and our hope, our very everyday lives into his gracious and merciful hands. This verse is our declaration today. He is our living hope. Why do we need hope? I believe we need hope today because we're in a crisis of hope, driven by a deep need for security and pleasure and power. 
arrogantly thinking that we can find it outside of a relationship with God through Jesus. That's been man's story, hasn't it? It's why we turned our backs on God in the garden. It's why we continue to do it today. Even those who claim to be Christians still thinking that we can gain everything we need and want through our own strength and that ultimately it will fulfill us. See, worldly hope outside of Jesus cannot go beyond wishful thinking. We can't control tomorrow. We can't even control the next hour. We're not God. And it's obvious in today's current circumstances that worldly hope can't solve our deepest needs and wants. Faced with something that we can't control and the fear that life could end as a result, we are left to wonder if there is a hope that goes beyond wishful thinking. We're finally discovering that human ingenuity has not brought us the peace and prosperity, the security, pleasure, and power that we expected across the board. And those of us who have experienced peace and prosperity that this world offers are finding that it actually doesn't deliver the satisfaction that we expected. And in times like these, all of that is exposed. There is still too much injustice. There's too much poverty. There's too much division. It's amazing the amount of division we see today, even in the church. Too much violence, too much fear. At some point, no matter what you have, you cannot control tomorrow. And you cannot change the fact that one day we all die. That truth doesn't change with a virus. And in the midst of all of this uncertainty is human ingenuity where we tend to place our hope in this world, is it really going to be enough? We were told this week that the tragic death toll of this virus was not going to be as bad as the scientists and health professionals had predicted. As a matter of fact, in an article later that day, one governor made this statement in regards to this good news. This is not an act of God. This is what was stated. This is not an act of God we are looking at. It is an act of what society actually does. Now listen, church, I can't fault him. That's humanity. Here's the question. Have we put too much of our hope in science, in technology, in government, Have we put too much of our hope in human ingenuity that has no ability to keep its promises? This has been humanity's story without God. Here's the good news today. We are not God. And God knew that. And so he sends Jesus to bring us real hope. Peter says, living hope, divine ingenuity. Thank the Lord for divine ingenuity. In the week leading up to his death, Jesus went out to deal once and for all with judgment, sin, and death. All that created, all that stuff created our hopeless state. And he did it with all of the authority of heaven. You see, many people die for causes. Whether the cause is for good or for bad. But that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Jesus didn't die as a martyr for a cause. That assumes wrong place, wrong time. And Jesus was never, ever 
in the wrong place at the wrong time. You see, many of us know someone or, or have our own experience, if you will, of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Matter of fact, we could tell those stories. Maybe it's a story of wrong place, right time, right place, wrong time. None of those are good. Wrong place, wrong time, not Jesus. He was never at the mercy of anyone. He lived, died, and was buried because he meant to be. He meant to be. It was his plan. It's why he rode into Jerusalem knowing it was where he would give his life. It's why he left the garden where he was praying the night before he would die so that he could be betrayed. It's why he never called 10,000 angels to come and take him down from the cross. Hope was meant to be. You see, no one took his life from him. He laid it down. For who? The hopeless. Those who would believe. His people. And he laid his life down only to take it up again. The point of the cross was not just to die. And and we needed that to happen for the forgiveness of our sin. But to die and rise again. Defeating once and for all the very things that drive our hopelessness. Judgment, the judgment of God, the wrath of God. Sin that destroys and death. And he meant to do it. He was never in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, quite the opposite. Jesus was and is always in the right place at the right time. That is never more clear than the story of Lazarus in John 11. John 11 opens with word reaching Jesus from the town of Bethany that Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, was sick. And these three siblings, they were close to Jesus. In fact, other than the inner circle of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, these may have been three of Jesus' closest friends. You see, you actually see this in how the sisters report that Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. And later how John tells us point blank that Jesus loved these three. When we read ahead, we discover that Lazarus wasn't just sick, he was actually deathly ill. Literally, clearly the sisters knew this and knew that Jesus could heal their brother, and so they sent word to him about Lazarus' illness, assuming Jesus would rush to his friend's side and heal him. After all, Jesus loved Lazarus. And when you love somebody, that's what you do, right? You rush to the aid of someone you love. You don't waste time. If someone in my family needed me, if one of my, something happened to one of my kids or my wife, nothing would stop me from getting there. And I know Jesus is more loving than I am. And then you read verse 6 of John 11. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now we have to be really careful here. John is not telling us that Jesus was just really busy for two more days before he could break away. It's actually the opposite. Jesus intentionally chooses to wait for two days. Why? Well, John tells us in this verse, notice the little word so. This little word presents a cause and effect to us. What follows the so is the effect, and what precedes it is the cause. Here, the effect is Jesus waiting. What's the cause before the so? 
It's verse 5. Jesus loved these three. His love caused him to wait for his friend to die instead of rushing to his side. What? What would prompt Jesus to wait instead of rushing to his side? Look at verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus knew that his friend's illness would result in death, but not end in it. That's because Jesus also knew that he would shout, Lazarus, come forth, and life would fill his friend once again, and a man who was once dead would walk out of the grave. This is why he waited. He wanted Mary, Martha, Lazarus, his disciples, and all of us listening today to experience something that would completely change them and us from that day forward. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and the disciples had been had seen Jesus heal plenty of people. Remember, that is most likely what prompted the sisters' message in the first place. But Jesus wanted them to experience something more, something way bigger than healing their sick brother. Jesus wanted them to see that he has power over death because that is what they would need to know about him when they would see his lifeless body in a tomb. Not long after this, basically, Jesus used this miracle to help his disciples take a big step forward in developing saving faith in him. Just like he is using everything happening in our lives right now to develop saving faith in us. Now skip down to verse 15 where Jesus tells the disciples this. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Jesus' delay led to Lazarus' death, which led to Jesus' miracle, which led to faith, which always leads to God's glory. Had we written the script, we would have settled for so much less. Our version would have had Jesus rushing to Lazarus' side to heal him, following by some kind of celebration, and we would have missed so much more that Jesus actually gave to his friends. Jesus gave his friends an incredible gift when he allowed Lazarus to die. He gave them the gift of advancing their faith and drawing them that much closer to eternal life in him, the Son of God. The resurrection of Lazarus is a wonderful demonstration of the power of Jesus, a glimpse into Jesus' own resurrection and a picture of our new life in Jesus. Humanity desperately needed a new definition of hope. Human ingenuity and wishful thinking couldn't and can't save us. And so Jesus comes at the right place at the right time and gives his life for our sins and then takes it up again for our hope that one day we'll live forever with him. He meant to do it. Hope was meant to be. A month or so ago, I shared a list of things that weren't canceled in regards to our faith when so much around us was being canceled. Let me tell you the most important thing that has been canceled for those who believe in Jesus and follow him above anything or anyone else. Judgment has been canceled. When we follow Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus, the wrath and judgment of God was placed upon Christ at the cross, and so we no longer stand in the judgment of God. That's why we no longer judge each other, but we love because we were loved. Sin has been canceled. Oh man, that power of sin that gets its hold and leads to death has been canceled. We can be free. We can be free of sin. We can be free of the impact of sin. 
Because sin always leads to death, and so death has been canceled. Because of Jesus, we may die in this life, but we get to live forever with him. Because he rose, one day we will spend an eternity with him. We are in a crisis of hope. But hope is what the resurrection brings to the world. This confident expectation of a better tomorrow based on the character and promises of God. Because God is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do. You know, Jesus is saying to us today, I got this. Hope was meant to be. I brought you through my life, death, and resurrection, hope. A confident expectation of a better tomorrow based on the character and promises of God. And I did it on purpose. It was my purpose. Today, you don't need to fear. You just need to have faith. Because Jesus is saying, I got this. Trust my timing. I'm never early and I am never late. I got this. This Easter, what we want you to remember and know and understand is that hope was meant to be. Because Jesus meant to do everything he did. He was not in the wrong place at the right time. He is always in the right place at the right time. We see it in the story of Lazarus. We see it in the story of his life. We see it in the story of God. Jesus is always on time. If that's true, church, then it doesn't matter what we're going through today. Jesus will never be early and he will never be late. He is on time and he will walk with you through this because he has your tomorrow. How do we know that? Because he said he does. And he has always come true through and it is always true. And so this Easter, we want to pray that you realize more than any time before, Jesus has this. God has this. God, I pray right now for every person listening I pray, Lord, that wherever they are today, Holy Spirit, you would just be present and you would reveal your truth. God, for those who are not following you, who have not put their faith and hope and trust and belief in you, I pray for them in this moment that that would become, you would become so real to them, that your hope is the only hope that is real. And I pray, God, that in these moments that your word says if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that you, you raised Christ from the dead, that we would be saved. And I pray that if there are those listening who have never put their hope in Jesus, that they would put their hope in you today and begin to know what it means to be changed from the inside out, to have this inner joy and peace no matter what's going on in the world. And I pray for those of us today who love Jesus, our families out there, that you would give us incredible strength, that you would lead us and you would guide us in the midst of all of this to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That God, we would not be a people of fear, but we would be a people of faith. Our faith is growing every day because it was meant to be. You're always on time. You are always in the right place at the right time. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen.